Welcome to the Blazing Grace Show. This is Jason Graves along with Mike Janung, your co-hosts. Hello, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you, brother? Well, you know, I'm doing good. I've been traveling, as you know, and so it's nice to be back home, back in the, in the saddle and, and back to the sunny springs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I know it was a pretty grueling trip for you, too. It was. It was. But you know what? It's nice to be home, and gruel pays, you know, because, <laughs> you know, if, if something's grueling, you know that you're you're doing something. And so, you know, I don't mind the gruel. A little gruel here and there never killed anyone. That's what the saying goes, I think, right? Right. <laughs> well, of course, we are, again, sans our, our brother, Rob McIntyre, who is finishing out his sabbatical and will be rejoining us here shortly. But today we're excited to be talking about Christian lies and myths. That's pretty unique, Mike. So what, how did you dream this one up? Uh, just by my own journey of messing up and mm-hmm. reala- realizing all the blind spots that I struggle with and mm-hmm. hearing the same stories that other guys struggle with. Right. And when you think about Christian myths and lies, well, the bottom line is, is that the enemy comes masquerading as, as an angel of light. So oftentimes, things seem like they are, are uh, having the skin of the truth, but are stuffed with lies. And uh, sometimes we, these myths that we believe, have some root in a foundational need. So as a result, we tend to believe things. And so we'll get into that a little bit more uh, deeply. But I think what we want to center around, particularly with these lies and myths, are around especially lust today. And then, of course, you as listeners will have the opportunity to tell us what you want to hear about in terms of lies and myths that we can uh, discuss and, and mull over together. But let's talk about the first one, Mike. Um, getting married will fix my lust problem. Well, I know growing up, I bought into that one. How about you, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I bought it into it in the way that said, well, I didn't really believe it would fix my problem. However, I thought it would help. And I put a little bit too much investment into that. I put a little bit too much weight. And, and as a result, it, it has it has hurt. So uh, what for me happened was I tended to lean on my marriage to be my fulfillment for me and to be kind of a rescue boat for me. Does that make sense? Rescue boat in what way? Well, I think I would just basically say, okay, well, um, as long as I can have this, this release, then I'm going to be okay. When really that puts sex on the pedestal rather than worshiping God. You know, I was worshiping sex in my marriage even though it seems right and okay. So it became, you know, disproportionate to me. Well, for me, I, I think it was the problem that I didn't realize that there was a heart problem going on behind mm-hmm. my lust problem. So I just saw it as simply as a problem with sex that, well, once I get sex, there's no more problem. But mm-hmm. I had an empty heart behind that that was trying to feed itself with lust. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then once once I got into marriage, I realized that two broken people, raised by a broke two completely different broken families, isn't going to make my heart problem any better. It's it's going to make it actually with the struggles in marriage, it'll make it even harder at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Marriage is a place where certainly sex is a celebration, 
but we don't ever want to let it become a crutch, even in that covenantal relationship. It distorts what sex was intended for. It changes the creative intent behind what God was doing when he uh, when he made that and when he gave that to us as couples as a gift. Right, Mike? Right. Well, and sex isn't to be bigger than marriage or what the marriage is about. Sex right. is a part of the icing on the cake, but it's, right. it's not the big part of the cake. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're out there listening and, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, these people are just talking about insanity. Of course, sex is appropriate in, in a marriage. Well, that's not what we're saying. Uh, certainly, sex is a wonderful awesome thing for a marriage. We want to encourage couples to be having healthy, regular, God-centered sex. Um, however, if it's in a way that is an, uh, used as a crutch, that's where it can become dangerous. So, you know, if you have any thoughts about that, of course, you can certainly get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to hear the feedback. But want to move on to another myth here. And that is the one around lust that says, well, I've got this lust problem, but I can beat it on my own. Talk about that a little bit. Well, if, if we could beat sin, all sin on our own, whether it was lust or food or pride, then we wouldn't, nobody would have a struggle with sin. It would be that easy. We would become Christians and then just, well, hey, I'm strong enough and and then I just can deal with this and I'll move on and, and I don't need other people or I don't need God even mm-hmm. to help me in my struggle, but... The truth and the reality is that we're all broken mm-hmm. and that we don't have the strength to whip sin. Right, right. And in fact, sin uh, is kind of like mold. It loves darkness. And, and when light is exposed or it's exposed to light, that's when it starts to, uh, you know, when, when, when mold starts to stop, you know, growing, it ceases to grow. Same thing with sin. When it's exposed to the light, you have the the chance to start turning the corner with it. Um, I have got a guy that I know who says that he is accountable, but he's accountable to himself. Mm. I thought, okay, well, listen, certainly there is uh, there is such thing as accountability to the self. However, not when it's in an area of sin, because sin entangles. If you're entangled in something, uh, how are you going to be the one to un- undo the, the ropes? You know, how are you going to be the one to pull yourself out of it? That, you know, that's, uh, you don't have the objectivity. Well, I remember being in a hotel room after I had acted out with pornography and, and of course being in that place of shame and guilt and then just saying, okay, God, I'll make a vow. I'm not going to act out again for the rest of this evening. And then breaking that vow just an hour or two later. And we spend so much time, waste so much time spinning our own wheels, trying to make our own strength work. When the truth is, it just isn't there. Right. We've got to have others and we've got to have God in this battle. Right. You know, and I actually, when I first started to get into recovery, I thought, okay, well, I'm a therapist. So, you know, I don't really need to be in one of these groups. I had a lot of pride and arrogance. So I started three groups in my church out in uh, Chicago and as a result, I just, you know, continued on and actually had about seven months of sobriety and, and, uh, and, and free from acting out. But when rough waters came in life, I started acting out again because I wasn't accountable to anybody. I was, I was hiding in my superiority. And so I started acting out for a couple months, uh, after that, again, just relapsing every month or so. And then when I finally 
got into a group. I've been free ever since. I had that accountability. I had other uh, pairs of eyes watching my life, asking me regularly about the you know statistics around my recovery in terms of you know the accountability involves numbers. So checking on how many days did you do your recovery work today? How many days were you in prayer? You know this week. Uh, how many uh, what, how many times did you act out this week? You know if it was zero, great. If it was one, two, three, four, okay. What did you do to uh, make restitution for that? What consequences did you give yourself in order to uh, bring justice into your life? So. Uh, there's a huge difference between being accountable to yourself and being accountable to others when, when it comes to sin, especially sexual sin. Well, I know for me, the flip side of that coin was that I didn't want to have to admit I couldn't beat lust on my own because that meant that now I have to tell somebody else, which meant opening up a whole can of worms of shame. And that shame was just, that gutted me. I couldn't stand the idea of having to go to somebody and say words right. like, masturbation and porn and me all in the same sentence right, right. And, and can't deal with it. Right. And Oswald Chambers talks about, he says that our lives are a fatal tragedy mm-hmm. and that once we face that fatal tragedy, that's the doorway mm-hmm. to finding strength from God and, and from others. Mm-hmm. And part of the broke, the part, the struggle with finding, facing our brokenness is that it's painful to look at our pride and our self-centeredness mm-hmm. and our weakness. Right. And I think a related myth, Mike, that's not in, in our outline here, but I think about it is that a lot of men think that they can be accountable for lust to their wives. And certainly you need to be honest, men, with your wives about what's going on, the mistakes you've made, however painful it is. However, women don't understand things the way men understand things and vice versa. It'd be like, you know, asking your, your, uh, you know, your, your, your wife or being an accountability partner for your wife on women's issues. You don't have a clue. You're a, you're a guy. You have a very limited understanding of what women deal with. And the same is true, uh, vice versa. So that's why, man, don't fool yourselves if you are being honest with your wife about lust and whatever mistakes you've made or are making. Fantastic. However, you need male eyes on the problem because God deals with men differently than he deals with, with women. And he uses men in men's life differently than he uses women. Well, and when we, every time we tell our wives, honey, I had a problem lusting after this other lady, it hurts them. Mm -hmm. And so after a while it starts to border on abuse. If we just dump every single struggle, every single thought we have on them, right. It's going to put too much strain and stress on the marriage. It's going to break it. Right, right, absolutely. It's wounding them over and over again. And then we wonder why they sometimes uh, close up and become bitter towards us. So uh, make sure, wives, that you are setting boundaries with your husbands around what you want to know and what you don't want to know. And be careful and wise about that. And, um, you know, certainly experiment, but if an experiment doesn't work for you, then uh, maybe you need to try some different boundaries and rein it in a little bit because you need to protect your heart. You need to protect each other's hearts. Let's go on a little bit here. This is an interesting one, Mike. You talk about, uh, I need sex. Wow. That's kind of an earth shatterer. I mean, I, I'm a married man. <laughs> what, isn't it my right to think that I need sex? Well, I and I hear an excuse some guys give for masturbating or pornography or affairs or whatever it is as well. I have needs and quote unquote, my wife wouldn't meet that. 
but the truth is, is that that's a crutch. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever died. I've never heard anybody who died from not having sex. Right. But I hear people that die every single day because they did have sex in the wrong context. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is so, I mean, that just hits me between the eyes. I mean, it, it is uh, something I've been waiting for my whole life. I didn't get married till I was 31. And so to be able to just be sexual is such a gift. And uh, then now being told, wait a minute, it's not really a, a, a need. It's just really more of a, of a gift. It's something to enjoy. Boy, that is, that is earth shattering. Well, what I hate is when I, when those times when I've let sex become bigger in my marriage and it should, mm-hmm. I can miss my wife and I can forget that she's supposed to be my best friend. Right. And she's not just, she's not a person or an object that I'm going to fulfill an urge that passes and goes mm-hmm. at that moment. She's, She's my soulmate. She's the one that sees me like nobody else sees me. And uh, there's times when we let sex get that big that we we can start treating our wives like a prostitute. Right. Well, in fact, it's interesting here. And I'm sure there's, uh, this is a controversial thing here. I'm sure there's folks out there saying, who is he to say that you, you don't have sexual needs? Well, let's listen to what scripture says on the matter. And uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So really putting your body into servitude to your spirit really says something different than what our culture might say when it comes to you know, sexual needs. Yeah, it's saying that I'm going to master my urges and my urges aren't going to rule over me. Mm-hmm. And our culture, I think, feeds us a lot of the if it feels good, do it you know, express that or, or go with it mentality. And that that's ruining a lot of, a lot of lives out there. Right. And in, in, in Christian marriages, even, um, it could be used as a tool to manipulate. Oh, you know, honey, I have needs, you know, not that any of our listeners would ever use that on, you know, <laughs> that line on their wives, but you know, um, you know, in, 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 in here and even it says, uh, further, in First uh, Peter two eleven, it says, "Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul." Now, listen. Let me be clear: we're not advocating that couples don't have sex. Absolutely, uh, we want couples to have a healthy sex life. Have all the sex that you agree on. I mean, have all the sex that you want as a couple, but make sure it's it's out of a sense of celebration, out of, of a sense of giving to one another another and not out of a sense of, of some kind of false neediness or the, it's all about me mentality. Absolutely. Sex is not about me. It's uh, it's about focusing on the other person, blessing the other person and making that other person feel loved and special. And if that's both happening, then you don't have to worry about yourself. Right. That's her job. Right. 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 Good. All right. Well, let's move on here a little bit more. This is a, this is good stuff. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we may get some calls here with some uh, folks who've got some different ideas, and we welcome those. In fact, you can uh, give us a call. Um, you can reach me at 590-7685. Mike, um, your contact information? Is www.blazinggrace.org. Great. So you can go to the website. And by the way, if you missed part of this uh, episode today, you can actually get the mp3 on the website so again that's blazinggrace.org and 
Download, download a, whichever uh, archived copy you'd, you'd like. We have all the episodes on there currently. Um, let's, let's go on with the myths here. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is the Blazing Grace Show. We're talking about Christian lies and myths, particularly ones around the area of lust. And so we've talked about some heavy hitters so far, but here's one. Um, I can have God and lust. Talk about that, Mike. Well, and that springs from the previous slide where we make sex out to be a need. Mm-hmm. So if sex becomes a need and God's not going to give it to me my way in my time, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and have sex on my terms. But then when I screw up, I'm going to go to God for his forgiveness and to quote unquote feel better in his grace for what I've done. And it's like trying to be engaged with a woman and say, honey, uh, you, would you mind if I had three or four affairs the first year we're married? Mm-hmm. And uh, God's not going to play around and let us have two two masters or two gods, so to speak. Right. Absolutely. You can't serve two masters. It's the same with money. It's the same with lust. So we need to really focus on one. And if you have got a, a little hidden life going on, if you've got some stuff on the side, maybe some pornography, uh, maybe uh, you know a masturbation habit, you're married, or maybe you're unmarried and you're doing this in a, in a compulsive way that uh, y- you know is disturbing to your you know spiritual life, to your functioning, we need we need you to know that there is help. There is help. Mike and I have gotten free from this. You can get free from this. But it begins with saying, listen, I'm willing to turn over control. I'm out of control in this area of my life. I'm willing to turn over trying to control it, trying to continue to ask God to press that magic button in the sky, which there is none, Mm. uh, saying, okay, God, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this. How many times have you said that? I mean, let's get real. The bottom line is, is that sexuality is pervasive in our culture and it's ruining lives. And if you don't start to take some steps to get free today, it may be too late. The cost is really high when it comes to both recovery and acting out sexually. The great thing about, about it is that acting out sexually costs you more than you ever intended to pay, will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and take you farther than you ever intended to stray. Whereas the cost of recovery pays dividends in the long run. Isn't that true, Mike? Well, and what most guys are blind to the fact is that just porn, quote-unquote, can destroy your marriage. At a 2003 meeting of the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, two-thirds of the 350 divorce lawyers who attended said Internet porn contributed to more than half of the divorce cases they handled. Mm. This thing is literally ripping up families all over the country and all, all, all over the church. Right. You know, and it's so true. I mean, we were talking earlier before the the taping, Mike, about how folks are more and more calling with problems that their teenagers are experiencing uh, as young as 14, 13, 12, 11, that these kids are accessing pornography and doing it in a compulsive way, where even when they're told to stop, they can't. I've got clients who are accessing... uh, gay clubs online and having men come and meet them at their home and act, having sexual encounters. Mm. I had a, a, a parent the other day call me in a panic 
saying that her son, that she came home and there was a man in her house. You know, and, he, and as a parent, I mean, that's the furthest thing from your mind that your kid could ever do that uh, because that, you know, you love them, you've invested in them. But the bottom line is folks, if you don't have a filter on your internet, basically pornography and the mafia have access to your children. They have an open pathway, a portal into your home and kids left and right from the best homes in the country are getting ensnared in this stuff. So that's why we need to be vigilant. It's kind of like that example we used earlier, Mike, about, you know, if your son is on a baseball team and he plays catcher, you're not going to wait until he gets hit in the, in, the, in the private parts with a pitch before you buy him an athletic supporter, a, a cup. You want to protect him before the danger happens. And so certainly physical danger is, is more imminent to us in this, in this world. However, listen to me. If you hear anything today, folks, the danger of pornography when it comes to our children is more imminent and more real and more costly now than ever. Isn't that true, Mike? I've had guys recently come to me and they've said they got introduced to porn in the Boy Scouts oh. and then it's all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy said he got introduced to it into a private religious school that he went to. Um, We would like to think this is all outside the church and our Christian institutions, but the Mm -hmm. fact is that it's not. Right. And what this means is we in the church need to start addressing this issue with our, I hate to say it, our 11 and our 12 and our 13-year-olds at the junior high level. Absolutely. If we wait until they're 30 years old with, with the baseball analogy you use, that's too late. Right. Absolutely. That's damage control. Right. Because, I mean, as, as parents, you know, if your kid gets a pitch to a, 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 a very vulnerable place on his body, that happens one time and, you know, you're, you're going to take care of the problem. However, and I, and I realize it's a, it's, a, it's a graphic illustration, but I'm trying to get some attention here. I'm trying to get the attention of parents so that we can save the next generation from this problem. However... With the, this problem, kids are getting these pitches on the internet 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times before it's addressed sometimes. And that is at a point where you're developing a, an addiction. We've just got a couple minutes here, Mike, but we've covered some important um, myths today. And I just want to add, you know, I was at a conference this weekend, this last week in, in Asheville, North Carolina, Exodus International, ministering to folks who are sexually broken and have had, uh, you know, homosexual contact and, and are struggling to manage unwanted same-sex attractions. And one of the things I talked about was the, the newest thing going on with our kids is that uh, kids at the junior high level are hooking up with each other sexually and having sexual uh, acts in the bathrooms at our junior high schools. This is uh, you know coming up more and more often. So listen, if you don't believe that uh, these things are happening, tune in next week. We're going to be talking about some more of this stuff. We're, in fact, next week we're going to have a, uh, a wife of a sex addict, and we're going to talk with her about her experience. So we'd love to have you. Mike, any final thoughts? I think it all goes back to the fact that our fathers, we who are fathers, need to take the bull by the horns, and we need to be more proactive with our kids and talk to them clearly and boldly about what our culture is about, what it can ensnare us with, and we got to talk to them at a younger age than we really want to have to, but we need to. Right. Absolutely. And if you need help, 
Uh, I do counseling in the area and I've got other counselors who would love to talk with you, meet you with you and give you the information you need. You can reach me at 590-SOUL, that's 7685, or find me on the web at healingforthesoul.org. Once again, if you missed today's broadcast and would like an archived copy, visit us on the web at blazinggrace.org. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week when we meet with a wife of a sex addict, our partner's show. Be blessed and uh, have a great week. So long.